Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome to Worst Year Ever, a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the worst year ever. We'll get through it together or not. Everything is so dumb, 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 Hello, welcome back to Worst Year Ever. It really is the worst year ever, guys. What? Well... In my in my um, limited experience, I'll admit that it is the worst year ever. Um, I'm Katie, by the way. Hi, I'm Cody. Hi. Is my name? Yep. It's different from I'm yours slightly. Robert. And yeah. Hello. Hi. You know. Hi. A year of doing this, and you'd think we'd be quicker with this part. <clears throat> no, I think that was my best introduction yet. Uh, yeah. Yeah, let's just run and print that motherfucker. We're only getting better. Do we print things on on in audio? Can no. you can you print that? Okay, well print no. it anyway, please. You did All great. Right. Just say we, that you we, did. Who are we? What are we doing today? Today we are very very excited to welcome writer, Twitter inspiration Talia Laven. Twin spirit. Sorry, twin twin inspiration. No, that's when you're inspired by twins. The mm-hmm. twitinspiration. <laughs> hey, Talia. <laughs> twit. Just general twit. Me, Talia, Laven, well, author. I, I pub- don't think we can allow you to be on and insulting our guest. Our guest. <laughs> <laughs> A newly published author, Talia Laven. Congratulations. Me. Yeah. That's uh, always that's an exciting f- moment. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's I've never... You know, I'm not jaded. This is my first time, and um, yeah, I hope it's as good for you as it is for me. So far, it's, it's pretty. Great. I mean, you're making a joke there, but I can confirm that, like, as a writer, that when that book hits, it is it is a little bit. You know, it's 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 the intellectual equivalent of an orgasm. Getting your book out there, getting it out there. It's yeah, hurt. it's a real yeah. long build. Yeah, it's 288 pages, baby. I put yeah. a lot of my life, soul, and sanity into making this book. And what's your book about? So it's called Culture <laughs> Warlords. My journey into the dark web of white supremacy. Um, I didn't make that subtitle, but like it is fairly accurate. It's kind of about the metastasis of the white power movement online and what that looks like and um, the different spaces uh, that these ghouls gather and what they talk about when they think no one's listening. Very, very, very appropriate for our show and for this moment of time we're all currently living through. Depressingly um, timely. I really wish yeah. that like it was being released like it was like a quaint topic like if I'd written about like beehives or soup or something. <laughs> like, oh, white supremacists. That's not an issue, but it is. It is. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, I, I do think the good thing about our audience is we've been yelling about this for a while. So I think folks are prepared on the basic stuff. 
Um, I'm I'm kind of interested if you wouldn't mind starting off with kind of walking through your own personal st- story here, your kind of journey into yeah. covering this stuff because you've got a you've got an interesting one. And in fact, our other guest of the pod, Ken Klippenstein, has been putting out some very interesting articles about what happened with you. And yeah, ice. I mean, it was sort <laughs> of a, I know, right? It's like cross pollination, the Talia X Ken um, mm-hmm. joint. No, so. What what happened was in 2018, I was a fact checker at the New Yorker, and ICE put out this tweet. Uh, ICE, like Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, yeah. put out a picture of one of their agents for like an ad. You know, they're always kind of portraying how they're like busting cyber crimes against children, and that's definitely primarily what they do. Um, which is kind of not. I mean, I think they do do that to a degree, but it's not what they're known for. And I noticed, I was not the first to notice by a long margin. There were like a lot of people talking about the fact that he had a tattoo on his elbow that looked a bit like an iron cross, which is like, you know, it's a a symbol associated with Germany. It's not always a Nazi symbol. It is often a Nazi symbol. Yeah, it was essentially like the German Medal of Honor and then Hitler won one and it it really got got kind of tainted by the fact that all the Nazis started putting it on stuff. Yeah. 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 So this was floating around the Twitter sphere and people were talking about it pretty emphatically. Like, this is the Gestapo, blah, blah, blah. Um, Look at this Nazi. And I was like a much more cautious and kind of put up just a photo of the guy that I put up like a tweet that had like three photos. Like it was like the ad zeroing in on the guy's elbow and then like a photo of an iron cross with an explanation of what that is. And then a couple of people responded like, oh, maybe it's a Maltese cross. Like, we don't really know. And so I deleted my tweet and posted kind of a correction um, 15 minutes later, literally 15. Like, this might be a Maltese cross, deleted my tweet so as not to spread misinformation. I was very self-congratulatory about it. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm not going to spread disinfo for likes. And then, and like, also, you know, just it was really going around the whole internet leftist twitter in 2018 or whatever and then the following day like completely to my shock ice put out a press release to like its bajillion followers blaming me directly for starting this rumor (laughs) saying that i'd put their agent at risk and you know like specifically calling me out and the new yorker by name um which was crazy and like totally like it was like for a tweet that it existed for 15 minutes and didn't even have any words in it or like yeah any definitive statements just like could this resemble an iron cross maybe um and so that's how I got um and then like the full force of the entire right-wing media like descended on me it was crazy it was like the roof was just peeled off my life and like Mm -hmm. I watched this story go from the national review to the daily stormer in you know a couple of days like so it was you know started with relatively decorous questions to my employer who distanced themselves from me i was also fact checking a story heroically distanced themselves (laughs) from you yeah they were like oh you know we're not responsible um and you know this derogatory statement blah 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 and um i like was also fact checking a story about milo yiannopoulos at the time so needless to say he like very gleefully jumped on this and was like, she's a godforsaken wretch and like leaked my phone number to his fans. Then it winds up in the daily stormer where, you know, it's like the, you know, the lovely Nazi writer. Yeah. It's the New Yorker of racism. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Like a few, like, like same amount of umlauts, but they're mostly about Nazi terms. Um, no, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so, but, um, but you know, it was like, she's the reason why there should be a real Holocaust. Like this collection That's of soap a, ingredients, blah, yeah. blah, blah. This sounds like a real even, nightmare. Yeah. It was fucking terrible. I like really had a rough week. A lot of like suicidal ideation and self harm and just like bad, bad, bad vibes all around. And I, was like a very company woman at the time really believed in the New Yorker and didn't want my colleagues to catch flack. And so I resigned. Um, and it was like really bad. And then I had already written about the far right once. Um, I had written about 
how hard it was for the Daily Stormer to find a web host after Unite the Right in Charlottesville mm-hmm. um, and compared them to the Wandering Jews, which they really hated. Um, and, yeah, I'm sure they did. Yeah. And so then after Ooh. that, I worked at Media Matters as an extremism mm-hmm. researcher. Re- so I really spent a lot of time del- delving deeper and deeper into the crucible of the far right and have been writing about it ever since. So that's the... A harrowing journey. Um, yeah, it's a that's fun how I career. well, it was like the the abyss was gazing at me so intensely that I was like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna look at you guys too harder." So, yeah, it's like Nietzsche said. Sometimes when the abyss stares at you, you gotta like wink it and be like, "What what's up with you, abyss? How are you doing?" Yeah, like, "Hey, deal? abyss, I'm gonna yeah. dive in and figure out what the fuck you're all about." Because if that, I'm already well, being is... called, you know, the K word every single day, yeah. and like you know, having like photos of my feet posted to Nazi chats before I'm like even doing anything wild, you know, except writing a few articles, then right. I might as well go write all a book in about the damn thing. So you, and that's what you did. I, 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 correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, your book is about you going into the different chat, the different online arenas where these people fester, uh, adopting different personas and infiltrating and kind of gaining information. Yeah, I mean, it's because I had this sort of reputation among these people already, you know, because and then, you know, I kind of doubled down. I'm a very stubborn person and I doubled down and I was writing about the far right and kind of just being like Nazis bad. That was my general Mm -hmm. public thesis. I and because I'm a woman and because I'm Jewish, like there, there are identitarian elements of this, too, is I couldn't sort of go through the front door and I had to do a little more like a combo of sort of OSINT, uh, open source intelligence stuff, and then like the gonzo kind of undercover stuff. So the book is really a mix of like history. I talk a lot about Robert's favorite, um, uh, George Lincoln Rockwell. I talk mm-hmm. about, um, you know, Henry Ford and the history of anti-Semitism in America and all that stuff. But the sort of juicy parts <laughs> or whatever are like the various iterations of like undercover ops that I did. So... That included um, posing as like an Aryan babe on um, an all white dating site, whitedate.net, and just like getting them to write love letters to their ideal white wife and then publishing them in a book. Um, (laughs) I spent like five months um, seducing this like Ukrainian neo Nazi who runs, who ran, I should say, a like stochastic terror channel dedicated to worshiping. Brenton Tarrant, the Christchurch mosque shooter, mm-hmm. and then like passed his everything he'd given me, which was his name, license plate, uh, job, and like basic area where he lived to Bellingcat, who published it. Um, so that was pretty satisfying. I pretended to be an incel. I like got into planning chats for like a pagans versus Christians white supremacist MMA fight. Um, just like fun adventures like that, definitely <laughs> give the book a little color. I like basically really went like to and beyond the edge of myself for the book. Yeah, uh, I'm. I want. I mean, I want to talk about um all sorts of stuff, the things that you cover in this book, and the different topics and themes. Um, but as you're sitting here describing this, I'm I'm curious if you're open to talking about this emotional toll that that must have had for you personally uh, to be going through this? Because it, it, as you describe this, to me, it sounds really painful. <laughs> and like... Well, yeah. I mean, one of the episodes I describe in the book is like the opening of chapter one because I like wanted to kind of drive it home. I was like, so I... There's this organization of neo-Nazis called the Bold Cast that's like particularly grim and like stochastic terror-y they're named after Dylan Roof's haircut um his bull haircut and I was like eavesdropping on a chat affiliated with them and I like open the chat at like four in the morning because I totally lost the ability to sleep for most of 2019 and they're discussing would anyone rape Talia Lavin oh my god um and the most of the consensus was they were too that I was too ugly to rape but one of them said they would rape me with a gun um, and everyone agreed that that was the best course of action. So, yeah, there were definitely some, like, really fucked up moments over the course of reporting on this book. 
um, where like you become both subject and object of hate. Mm-hmm. I would say that being a Jew um, and like having, you know, a really like the Holocaust was like really close to my family. Yeah. Like my maternal grandparents, entire families died in it. Uh, I actually lost an aunt in the Holocaust. Like, you know, my grandparents had a baby and she died while they were on the run in the woods. And so, you know, so my mom lost a sister too. Like, you know, it it was really close. And then me being like the object of so much of their ire, really, I think the advantage it lent me was that I never lost a sense of moral clarity of what was at stake. Yeah. You know, I never let it become a collection of shiny objects. Although like, there's so much that is absurd and fascinating in this world that sometimes you can lose your way into like just cataloging it like it's sort of a collection of sundry oddities. But for me, because I was the locus of so much hate and come from a community that, you know, really become that really is um, the locus of so much ire, I, you know, it, it helped me retain moral clarity. It also definitely chipped away at my sanity in different yeah. ways. It it was a painful experience, and it really was yeah. like living at the edge of tolerability and 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 beyond it. Yeah, I I can't imagine. Yeah, I I haven't uh, finished your book yet, but uh, what I have read so far is incredibly engaging. Your writing is incredibly eloquent and accessible for people uh, who this world might be new to them. I, I am more well-versed in this whole world than I think the average person, but not as much as say Robert or Cody or, or yourself. Um, and I found it incredibly engaging. Um, and uh, yeah, that was just my compliment insert here because I wanted well, you to know you. that you. that I mean, really comes through like all your, you know, all this, that emotional journey that you, that you're talking about. And I was really struck also just I, I, growing up here and feeling and hearing all these stories and your, you know, your identity and your whole family, how you came here um, and, and the Holocaust so recently in your past, but feeling like that is separate from, from being here in America, like anti-Semitism isn't necessarily here. And then, you know, being online and, and, and discovering that it's very much very real here and it's tied into all of this other stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's where like the Jewish sort of assimilation into whiteness plays in where mm-hmm. like, you know, the people who consider us non-white are like white supremacists, you know, yeah. and, and, yeah. and Christians are mainline Christians are very weird about Jews too. Um, so yeah, there's not... a lot of like weird, uh, messianic, you know, groups where they're like, they'll call themselves rabbis, but they'll be, they'll be all about Jesus. Like I keep going to protests where, where people who are not Jewish have shofars, which is like, um, like a horn that has a specific ritual. Yeah, purpose. it's like a ram's but, horn. We blow it at you know yeah. the New Year and stuff. And and yeah, and like Christian and Zionism is a whole other yeah. like weird millenarian <laughs> ideology that like really to a frightening extent in, in influences American foreign policy. So it's not like totally just like the imprimatur of white supremacists to be super weird about Jews, but like white supremacists are, are weird about Jews in like a particularly violent way. But like it, yeah. it, of course, is an expression of privilege that it took until adulthood and an internet connection to really feel the like brunt of that sort of prejudice. Um, but I do feel that that having that element of my identity constantly sort of under fire like helped me retain a sense of moral clarity as I um, wrote the book that 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 there are wages of um, and you know and there is there are victims in in every. Uh, to allowing far right organizing to flourish that's it's not a it's not a victimless crime it's not a perpetratorless crime it's it's um like they're humans on both ends humans who suffer and humans who choose to inflict suffering and i think that's like one of the bigger messages of the book is that white supremacists aren't you know sort of monsters that are inhuman and and you know unique yeah. or, or uniquely poor or uniquely ignorant or uniquely beset by by any set of disenfranchising circumstances that render it, you know, understandable. They're just people um, from every socioeconomic bracket and level of educational attainment um, and every geographic region Mm -hmm. and um, making the human choice to live in a world where they want hate to win. Yeah. Yeah. You, I, that stood out to me as well that where you were saying they're there, they're, uh, they're sitting next to you in class they're in your office in your cubicle, and then and like your nice, night, your nice HOA neighborhood is not like yeah. 
it's not you know what it immune <laughs> and and also that like you know i think some of the most egregious journalism about white nationalists in this era like that infamous times profile of tony hoveter and like the whole dapper fascist. yeah the nazi next door yeah and i'm like he's a nazi not- but he dresses well <laughs> Right, and I'm like, it's not shock. It should not be shocking to you that a Nazi can like make pasta without like jizzing a swastika <laughs> into the pot. Like you know that like they're and he not, might have like, his garden. <laughs> they're not like you know like shitting themselves and like sig heiling and you know own a house. Like yeah, these are human yeah. people with human choices and human lives who make the human choice every single day. To inflict pain and and cause fear among their targets, and so I thought it was important not to downplay mm-hmm. that element. And 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 to me, their humanity does is not an it doesn't absolve them no. at all. If if anything, it 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 renders them more damned because they have made the human choice yeah. to engage in creating a worse world. Yeah. I'm just dropping the heavy shit. <laughs> I don't know. Like, no, it's great. I mean, it's also just important. We have this like a less so now, but I'd say it's been chipped away over the last four years. But a lot of people still don't realize the things that you're saying and, and that it's everywhere, that it's here, that just because the Holocaust happened and we all decided this was bad that, you know, collectively on the surface that there aren't people that harbor these same uh, disgusting ideologies living amongst us um, and planning and doing things and perpetuating hate every day all around us. And we need to be able to see that. You need to be able to to see that happening. Yeah. And there's this really classist assumption that they're like, it must be poverty. It must be, you know, some unique like socioeconomic deprivation that it's toothless masturbating Cletus who can barely string two sentences together. And I'm not saying like every white supremacist is, you know, a MacArthur fellow in disguise. No, the one of them who's killed the most people was capable of constructing a 6,000 pound bomb in a Ryder truck and destroying a federal building with it. Like, because he was smart and and capable and knew what he was doing and was like able to plan something very complicated. Like it's that, that that's one of the big issues I think that folks have in confronting this is the assumption that like the most these people are capable of is like kind of random acts of violence and they're not a real threat. I think when people think about like what a white supremacist or what like a neo-Nazi's goal would be, they assume like, well, they're trying to, you know, bring back the Nazi party or whatever. And that's clearly not going to happen in the United States. But like they're, they're the goals of a lot of these people are a lot um, are much more, kind of insidious than that, like accelerationism, which I know you want to talk about, yeah. is the thing that concerns me the most right now. And it's not trying to, you know, red pill normies into being Nazis as much as it is trying to push society in directions that guarantee the kind of violence that will give them more power and give them more of the things that they want. Like it's it's and it's working, right? Like one of the things that we're seeing right now this year and a lot of the work I'm doing is the people who are planning and threatening terrorist attacks, the people who are getting like arrested for, you know, trying to kidnap and kill governors. Um, a lot more of them, very few of them are people who traditionally we would consider extremists. They're, they're Trump supporters and police supporters. Um, but in a lot of ways, the fact that these people are being radicalized and are, are making these kind of plans is, is a result of kind of the way in which some of these, more extreme white nationalist groups have prepared the ground in not in a series of terrorist attacks and their manipulation of the media. Like they've, they've put our society in this position where radicalism doesn't look the way it used to look. Yeah. And you know, a lot of that has to do with the fact that Trumpism is a white nationalist movement. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a sort of inherent desire for ethnic cleansing that's been there for, from the start. Um, but yeah, I agree. I mean, so I have a book and a chapter in the book about accelerationism called "Getting to the Boom." So accelerationism is this idea that that um uh, that you know you want to hasten social collapse, and in the case of the far right, that means basically, um, in the out of the ashes of society, a white utopia will rise like a phoenix. We'll be able to engage in the kind of ethnic cleansing that we fantasize about. Um, the United States will at last be free of the Jew. 
you know, it's the stuff that's been around since the Turner Diaries, you know, this fantasy of the day of the rope where every race trader and Jew will be hung from trees. Um, it, there are echoes of it in QAnon and like this whole day when everyone will be executed for treason. Like, um, you know, it's a very resonant idea and it's certainly resonant on, on the MAGA right and the extremist right and the lines between them are blurrier every day. Um, so yeah, I think that when I look at the next six weeks, yeah. you know, leading up to the election day of the election in the aftermath of, mm-hmm. you know, God forbid, like a hotly contested election or an unclear election. Um, what I see as a big danger is accelerationist violence. Like this idea of we're already in a moment of civic chaos and now's the time to strike hard. And so, mm-hmm. and, and to your point, Robert, like I think, there's been a lot of skepticism and and um, even skepticism on the left about like, are these guys really a potent force? Mm-hmm. Does it really matter? And I would say, first of all, like how many mass casualty events um, like premised on racism are okay with you? Like for me, the answer is none. And we've had a number over the past few years. Um, and, you know, it doesn't take that many people to be tipped over by years of stochastic terror into engaging in a mass casualty events to create an environment of profound harm, chaos, loss, fear, and, and, and destruction. So, you know, that's what we're potentially facing. And I think while I understand the impulse towards cynicism and like, you know, many of these people cloak their danger in absurdities, um, you know, they want you to laugh and fe- like to laugh at them or see them as boogeymen in the way that the clan, like, you know, initially dressed in their white robes to be like, oh, we're just dressing up as ghosts to frighten, you know, black people don't take us seriously. And then they were out committing murder. Like, you know, yeah. I think there's, uh, we have to take it seriously. And like, it's not a joke. Yeah. I would say that maybe I'm not somebody that didn't believe that this stuff would happen, but I've definitely realized uh, more and more, especially this year, the last, but the last four years, just how the unbelievable, the thing that you think can't happen and that people won't do can happen and they will do uh, more and more. Yeah. It's not great, Bob. Um, None of you are named Bob, but it just. Well, Robert is pretty close close to that. It's close. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, in, if you don't, if you don't want me to be angry at you, yes, yes, you can call me. <laughs> Isn't Bob, Bob Evans you... like a chain of something? It is, it, it is. is, and this is the last that we should say about that. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm googling it um, now. Mm-hmm. Um, never meet your heroes because you will offend them horribly. No, it's <laughs> the just that this like the Bob podcast. Evans restaurant is um is a has been a constant. A constant assault on the pride of my people. My people being <laughs> other people named Robert Evans, Evans. which again, only included me and the guy who produced Godfather. There are no others. Yeah. So, so accelerationism. It's bad. It's scary. That's my. That's in a nutshell. That's the in takeaway. a nutshell. Yeah. It's it's bad. It's scary, and it's coming to a town next door. Welcome to the worst year ever. We'll get through it together. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches 
fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Mom met a lot of your demands over the years. This Mother's Day, get her the Bartesian cocktail maker that makes premium cocktails on demand. In just 30 seconds, have your choice of over 60 premium or seasonal cocktails, all at the touch of a button. Get $50 off on the Bartesian cocktail maker now when you buy one pack of cocktail capsules. So, for all the times you made a mess, get mom the countertop cocktail system that makes premium cocktails without making any mess at all. For all the times you begged for soda, get her premium cocktail capsules made with real fruit juice and craft bitters. For all the times you demanded tacos for dinner, get her the Bartesian that mixes margaritas in just 30 seconds. Make mom's Mother's Day and all the 364 days that aren't Mother's Day with a Bartesian cocktail maker at $50 off. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother now to get $50 off the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. Everything is so dumb, 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 dumb. What's really been interesting to me is the degree to which accelerationism has synergized with something, with with a number of things that have been part of American culture for quite a long time. Like I'm, I'm a big advocate of, and I, I press this every time people ask me about, like the Boogaloo folks. That um, I know there's some people who will like claim that it started with like you know the 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 Rahoa race war sort of like memes and stuff among white supremacists, and some of that played into it. But I think if, if you're going to trace it to a direct origin point, it's the zombie apocalypse stuff. Um, and it's had all this other, like, syncretism is a big aspect of fascism, and it's had all this other stuff grafted onto it. But it started with this idea of preparing for a collapse that turned from, like, a joke into less of a joke. And because it was becoming less of a joke, people needed to find, like, something more that felt more realistic so that they didn't feel silly that they were spending thousands of dollars and all these guns to fight quote unquote zombies. And I, I, I really like, I see a lot of the, um, what we're, what we're dealing with now started in places like, and it's not just the zombie apocalypse stuff. There's always been this, this long running American, like theme in American popular culture, this like obsession with the idea of collapse and with mm. social degeneration and the violence that will come with it. Cory Doctorow just wrote a very good article about vaguely this topic for I think it was Slate um, and kind of the the complicity that uh, American fiction writers sort of have in some of this. So we've, you know, what the, and I think the Nazis recognized that. I think people like Lewis Beam recognized that a while ago that like there were actually a lot of cultural aspects of the United States that made us particularly vulnerable to this kind of accelerationism. Like, it's it's this idea that if you keep pumping chaos and violence into a culture that is already fairly dominated by chaos and violence, it will push people to become increasingly radical. And, you know, as a Nazi, even if it doesn't push people to be Nazis, because, like, the Boogaloo folks, by and large, are not Nazis— they still further those end goals, which is like enough social degeneration and decay and violence that order breaks down and that these heavily armed fascists are able to impose like the order they want. Um, and I don't know. It's, and there it's, is like a Rahala strain in the Boogaloo movement. Sure, sure. Are. There's like a, there's a far right strain. There's Nazis who try to recruit in it and stuff, but like that's not where it started. They're opportunists. Um like it, it the 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 Boogaloo stuff. Like I've I've traced back a lot of the earliest commentary on that, and they were never very far from the Nazis. But it's also like it clearly started as an aesthetic more than anything else. Yeah, it's um, survivalist fetishism, right? Yeah, yeah that all played into it. There's all this a bunch of stuff played into it. It's like the well, dystopia is coming, the collapse is coming. Uh, every movie is a disaster movie that is. The world is over, and now here we are. And I think we have slowly um, not just, like, assumed that that was going to happen, but, like, wanted it to happen. Like, there's an embracing of, of that, um, that, that dystopian world. Well, it's like yeah. once, you've, once you've, like, 
gotten enough equipment that you feel prepared like surely there is an element that 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 uh <laughs> that desires it yeah so um i wanted to um i mean so one of the things i say in the book um actually on that subject a very early uh an earlier iteration of this idea that like civilizational collapse will inevitably lead to like the fulfillment of Nazi fantasy is like there's a chapter in white power by George Lincoln Rockwell called nightmare where he envisions it's this really ludicrous, like very lurid fantasy where he envisions like the black socialists are taking over America and like they've taken over the armed services and like you are the protagonist. It's this like very like vividly written second person narrative and like, you know, like all these black men are like taking over and killing people and raping people. And you're sort of the noble American hero. Um, and you watch your neighbor who's this like white liberal, you know, shoot a black man to death um, unrepentantly. And it's this idea yeah. that like given sufficient chaos and, and collapse and like this fictitious <laughs> imminent black socialist takeover, um, every white liberal will become you know, as deeply uh, racist as George Lincoln Rockwell. Um, So, you know, that's an early iteration of the idea that social collapse will be the key to white utopia. Um, And I think you see some of that too in the sort of degree of apocalypsism, (laughs) apocalyptic nature of the rhetoric around this election, this like, We're really talking about people talking about Joe Biden as like bringing in like a Chavez esque, like, yeah, yeah. like Like he's always promised to do famed socialist, radical, Robinette Biden. That's what the R is for, Robinette Biden. You can can see his uh, speeches in Congress, yeah, decades if I I were ranking all of the communists. It's not even just like the usual shit, like they'll take your guns or whatever. I mean, that's always a hot yeah yeah they'll always hot do they're, sexy they're doing it today talking yeah. point but it's like becomes so apocalyptic he's a tra- tra- trojan horse for taking all your rights away and so it's like that's one of the things that keys up rhetoric to this pitch it's like that you know we're teetering on the edge of an abyss and like the outcome of this election will determine like your ability to not literally like be imprisoned in a camp for like saying a racial slur or whatever like it's so like the the tenor of of political conversation is pitched at such an apocalyptic key that i think you know you have the militia groups preparing you have um you know the neo-nazis preparing like there's just a lot of preparing going on and like Mm -hmm. that much preparing with that many guns um just i feel like it just doesn't lead anywhere good definitely makes me nervous yeah. yeah. When the, like the real like the real collapse that could potentially happen is climate change related. Um so like these all these groups are going to be around with all of this stuff and all these guns ready to uh to do these kinds of things um just as the planet slowly uh deteriorates. Yeah, like <laughs> we're trapped on this like swiftly warming planet with like the chaos monsters. It's not amazing. <laughs> it's not amazing. It's not amazing. That's my general take. I mean, not not a fan. Not a fan of the way things are going. Feels like the worst year ever. Except that because- I, a part of me, like the real pessimist in me is like, we're going to look back on 2020 and be like, oh, that, that year was so yeah, fine. That year I was think great. about that because at least every year of the last four years, we're like, oh, thank God that year's over. And it, it doesn't get better, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, one of, I saw this great video, Molly Crabapple is a wonderful artist, um, socialist artist. And like, they did something amazing. Um, it was like a collaboration project, um, with one of the founders of Black Lives Matter of kind of imagining a better future. They used paintings and like, they talked about like, you know, how this moment of plague and deprivation and, and um, climate devastation like led to the great sort of cooperative utopian future. And um, it was really meticulously imagined. And 
I thought that was such an important thing because it's so easy to work yourself into a state where you can't imagine things ever getting better. And and that kind of utopia, like that kind of ability to imagine a better future, I think is, is a sanity saving thing where it's like, you know, there, there, there can be hope that, that there can be change. Um, yeah. That it, it can be for the better. Might be hard to envision right now, but um, perhaps there will be a year when we look back on 2020 and and say that sucked. And I'm so glad things are much better now. That would be great. That's my people hope. have come around. They're changing their minds. Um, did you see uh, in your travels? I guess is not the right word. Um, uh, indications of people who are like getting into those. Uh, groups and subcultures uh, who aren't like fully there yet or like are questioning what's going on there and are like that you saw as being able to um, more easily be pulled back from, from that abyss, I guess. Interestingly, the most successful tales of like de-radicalization I've seen are like after people have been doxxed as Nazis. Oh yeah. And like their lives have fallen apart and they're like, this wasn't worth it. Oh, there's mm-hmm. no solidarity here. Mm-hmm. No one gives a shit about me. Right. No one's yeah. going to come save me. No one's going to help me. There's no bail fund for Nazis. Yeah. They don't give a shit about each other. Like, um, so, like, unfortunately, I mean, I didn't meet a lot of edge cases because the places that I were hanging, I was hanging out online were sort of already radicalized. And then right. I did, the the major trips I took were to Charlottesville for the anniversary of Unite the Right mm-hmm. to meet like with local anti-fascists. But then I did go to a conference um, hosted by Andy Nyo, our favorite. Great. Um, and Tim Poole called Minds <laughs> IRL, which was basically for like fans. Uh, Sargon of Akkad was there. It was like for fans of fascist YouTubers. And like they build it as like, oh, it's like so pluralist because they were going to have a couple of like leftist speakers. Um or like quote unquote leftist speakers willing to speak at an Andy Nyo Tim Pool conference. Um, but I did talk to a lot of people there and it was just like so funny. Like one of the funnier interactions I had, they kept asking like, Oh, so this really builds itself as like ideologically diverse. And like, have you met any progressives? And no one said, everyone said no. <laughs> but one guy was like, well, uh, I met an ethno-nationalist and I'm a civic nationalist. So I really saw a difference of the opinion. There. Diversity of opinions. Cool. Okay. But like those were, I mean, those were people that like traveled across the country to go see Andy Nyo yeah. in person. So it's the marketplace. Know, so what do you is. think? Yeah. Reachable demographic. I met him. I talked to him. It was funny. He was like, no, no, you can't photograph me. Like, <laughs> isn't your whole thing like shoving phones in people's faces without their mm. consent? Um, but I like covertly filmed him. It was like, good for you. you. Know, uh, do you provide kill lists to Adam Hoffman? Mm. I'm sure um, yeah, he had a, like, oh, a lot of uh, no, no comment, no comment. Like, you're not even British. You're not British. You're not, I know. I know. And then I met Tim Pool and I asked him if he ever washed his beanie, <laughs> and he said he has like twenty. I heard that he has many, many, he just has like piles of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That was a funny experience. It was like, they'd both done like videos or commentary about how evil I was. And then I like met, met them in person and they were very polite as they lied to my face. And then Mm -hmm. like Andy Nyo posted that I was shaped like a pigeon. Fuck him. Um, He's a real classy act. Well, I, I do have scum. a big, I, I do have a big ass. So in that sense, I suppose I'm shaped like a pigeon. Um, uh, yeah, which is the first thing I think no, about he's pigeons. Just, he's are there pro- luscious? If you butts. look at like his old Reddit history and stuff, he's just a profoundly unpleasant person who yeah. um, is deeply insecure about his own body and yeah. mainly attacks people who he thinks fit the idealized version of a human in his head even less than he does. Because he's yeah, no, and he really, man. really, really hates fat because he yes. used to be fat. Uh, yeah, and and so as a woman of largerness, um, <laughs> you become a riper target. I mean, that's always like 
Well, what's interesting about being like subject and object, right, in this mm-hmm. context is like, you know, looking at their their stuff. They they are obsessed with fat women. Like they like fat women are just like way up there in their list of targets. Um and they're obsessed with like the bodies of women. Like I had I had like po- I have posted like one bikini photo in my life um like ages ago on Brighton Beach and someone used it to impersonate me on 4chan on two different occasions that I had like accidentally posted this bikini photo while like badly posing as a as me being a journalist on 4chan and and and, and the Daily Stormer ran with it and was like uh like fat kike whale Talia Levin posts accidentally post bikini picture on 4chan and I'm like I didn't <laughs> But it, it just it's just funny like how your own body becomes the site of like yeah. this kind of attack uh, and and then and that becomes part of the story you you tell. Yeah. Oh, which is all part of I mean misogyny, which is another aspect of your book and what you said you might want to chat about today. Uh all of this. Yeah, like, I'm really yeah, bringing the right. fun topics. <laughs> I like I mean, <laughs> no, Katie was like, "What do you want to talk about?" And I'm like, "I don't know, accelerationism, misogyny, white supremacy." <laughs> and then, and she was like, "I feel weird harding this," and I'm like, eh. "I know they don't give you the option for just a like, like on Facebook." Um, yeah, and I think yeah. one of the, I mean, it's like, um, I think one of the things that being a woman covering the far right like gives me access to is just like the degree to which misogyny yeah. is an animating force. Mm-hmm. It's like both a means of entree and radicalization. Like it's. You know, for a lot of these people who I call the ideological launderers, like the Tim Pools of this world and like the Stefan Molly News and and um, the Ben Shapiro's like a lot of their opening bids are misogyny, like Ghostbusters ruined your childhood. Mm-hmm. There's too many ladies in Marvel movies. And like you can watch that stuff in, in a living living room or in public and not feel like horribly ashamed. You know, most people don't start out brandishing swastikas. Unless they're very special. Um, but but like, <laughs> you know, what these videos that almost serve as like a moment of hate for like feminists and and uh and women do is like inculcate you in a hate that's like relatively socially acceptable and teach you that like one method of like one sort of ideology towards social progress to with feminism is like actually working against your interests and is like nefariously undermining your place in the world. And then once you have someone inculcated in those two principles, like here's a group that's okay to hate. Yeah. And here's a means of social progress or like a sort of accepted ethos in the mainstream that's actually working to undermine your place in the world. Like then you have sort of someone in the palm of your hand already yeah. Like then, okay, what about the Jews? What about racial equality? I mean, it's all very connected. It's interconnected algorithmically. And these people all know each other yeah. and like guest on each other's videos. Right. Yeah. You find a place where your form of hate, it's safe and accepted. And then you're exposed to all these other ones that, you know. Like level two. Yeah, yeah no. Yeah. And then it's like, it's, it's sort of an, an Ouroboros in a way, like mm-hmm. where misogyny forms a point of entree for people into the white supremacist movement, but also the white supremacist movement itself is deeply misogynistic, not only in like the targets it chooses to attack who are disproportionately women, um, you know, and women receive sexually violent and like truly atrocious harassment, you know, that's of larger and volume and crueler than, than men, you know, I've I've had men who cover the far right tell me, it's, I sort of feel like I have like a Batman versus the Joker relationship with these white supremacists. And I'm like, oh, they just, I'm not even, I don't get to be even like poison ivy. I'm just literally the plant poison ivy. Like they see me as like a rash. Um, you know, I don't get to be like the worthy opponent because I'm a woman. Right. And, and, um, and that's fine. I'm fine. I'm not looking for like womanifest destiny or like white feminism in this. Like I demand to be equal in the eyes of white supremacists. But like the, the, the other aspect of it is that in the idealized world that white supremacists envision, women are submissive. Mm-hmm. Uh, women are basically like the breeding sacks of the white future. I mean, it's right there in the 14 words, like the white children and like who breeds the white children. It's like, women are wombs and like of course that has brought a broader valence and like a christian dominionist culture Mm -hmm. and like 
you know, fervidly anti-abortion for pro for forced birth conservative movement, but it, it is particularly vivid in, in a 14 words sort of culture. That's a white supremacist slogan. That's, um, it's like, uh, we must preserve the future for like, uh, ourselves and our white children. I think that's the gist of it. Oh, it's um, nauseating. Yeah. It, it's like, so, so 14 is like a big white supremacist. Mm-hmm. We're yeah, 1488. Like, 88 yeah. stands for Heil Hitler because because yeah. H is the eighth letter of the alphabet. So 1488 dorks. is like a big so dorky. Yeah, numerology, right? But it but you know the guy who code like who who um came up with the 14 words was David Lane, who was a member of the neo-Nazi terrorist cell, the Order. Like mm-hmm. shot a Jew to death. Like a Jewish radio host to death, but also like yeah, and they like robbed a shit ton of armored cars and like raised millions of dollars for white supremacists. Yeah, which they used Terror? in part to fund Louis Beam starting uh, Liberty Net, which was uh, an early internet in like the mid nineteen eighties, just for mm-hmm. Nazis, and was really the genesis point for everything you know we've been talking about today. Like that's where the Nazi internet effort started um mm-hmm. it's liberty it's fascinating everybody yeah, loves liberty. liberty everybody loves liberty yeah yeah no the clan were some Nazis. of the earliest adopters of the internet and so it's like when i don't know i just like what had all the interviews are blurring together although this one will be memorable because you guys are amazing but like you know people have been like oh like how can like tech companies combat this or like what's their role and i'm like the clan was on the fucking internet in 1982 like the clan has been around on the internet way longer than this group has. Like it's not like this problem of like organized hate using the internet was impossible to anticipate. It would just have taken three seconds of thinking. And unfortunately, it grew up these with tech the companies internet. are like very happy to to admit that none of us are worth three seconds of thought to them. Mm-hmm. That like our lives are not worth that. Our data like, is though. Yeah, we're so. cattle for data, and like you'd think they'd want at least our grain to be like, like a little less poisoned, but no, no. Um, so speaking of poison, sorry, I uh, <laughs> my brain automatically pivots to ad plugs in times like this. Yeah, uh, I apologize. <laughs> speaking yeah. of poisoned grain, you mm-hmm. know it won't sell you poisoned grain. Oh no! Actually, we're entirely supported by the poisoned grain. By the poisoned grain industry. <laughs> yeah, we're all. I in. made that call a while ago. Um, there's less money in it than you might think, actually. Yeah, it's Green disappointing. Theon. Not a lot of takers, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. But we aren't making money on this show. No, it's actually been a disaster. Um, <laughs> but one of these days, one of these, uh, I was going to finish the joke by making like a like a Salem witch trials joke about. All of that. Oh, ergot. That was the name of the poisoning. Anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ergot. It wasn't, didn't wind up being a joke, but you can see where I was going to go there. Ergot milk? Ergot. Yeah. Oh, damn it. That's a good ad. Ergot milk. <laughs> and then people start hallucinating and accusing each other of being witches. I yeah. love this idea. Oh, my this God. This sounds so much healthier than QAnon. Yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly, like, if... There was a mass outbreak of ergot poisoning in the U.S. in 2020. How would you tell? Right. <laughs> Things are already it's, so fucking nuts. Like it's everybody's very nicer already. now. Yeah. Welcome to the worst year ever. We'll get through it together or not. Mother's Day is coming, and Mom doesn't want flowers. She wants a cocktail. Here's a hint. Get Mom Bartesian. It's the countertop cocktail maker that creates your choice of over 60 premium cocktails in less than 30 seconds, each at the touch of a button. Flowers die. Happy hour comes back every day. So get Mom the machine that makes amazing cocktails with real fruit juices and craft bitters. Best of all, get $50 off a Bartesian premium cocktail maker with the purchase of one pack of cocktail capsules. So, instead of getting mom a reason to fill a flower vase with water, get mom the easiest, fastest way to fill her glass with the floral notes of gin. The best cocktails are premium cocktails, and the best day to get it for mom is Mother's Day, because you can get $50 off now for a limited time. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother to get the best premium cocktail maker for mom at the best price for you. Artesian, premium cocktails on demand. 
With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Everything is so dumb, 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 dumb. I didn't write a ton about QAnon, but I did write a big feature about it for the New Republic like last week. And, like, just, like reading about like the mole children and the like 35,000 kids like sexually abused in tunnels and having their blood drunk by the elite under Central Park and then I like went for a walk in Central Park and was like hmm, where are the mole children tunnels? where are they hiding yeah where are they hiding um and I did not see anything I saw some burdock I saw leaves turning I saw a lot of runners I am suspicious of joggers because they seem too healthy to me but I How didn't did see any I didn't see any <laughs> I didn't see any tunnels mole children, mole kids. Um, it is, it is, uh, it's a wild time, and I think the pandemic has certainly accelerated QAnon, oh, and God, I think yeah. accelerated a lot of these fringe idea ideologies because, like, even the most grounded and sane people I know are just like feeling confused and feeling mm-hmm. scared, and like the information coming at us like is a lot, a lot of it is dubious and like life is quite substantially disrupted for a lot of people. And like, so it, it does make sense to me that people are finding comfort in the arms of conspiracy, which is always full of, of certainty. Like my, my feeling is like anyone selling you too great, a degree of certainty is suspect. Oh yeah. I mean, plus we, so people just have so much more time in general sitting in their anxiety and our, our mental health, yeah, yeah. And like, I, iso- isolation is going to breed that isolation. too. Like, we're isolated. That's how you get people yeah. into cults is by isolating as, them from their uh, world and their support systems. As a musician, I quite admire said in a song, "Be suspicious of simple answers." That shits for fascists and fucking teenagers. <laughs> yeah, <Good>. man, <laughs> and I—that's um, why I always speak in paragraphs to make sure that everyone <laughs> knows I'm not a fascist. No, I—I I think. Um, I had a, a jump on this by already being like an agoraphobe with a panic disorder. So like you were anxiety prepared. and isolation ain't Great nothing new on me. Great thing to have going into 2020. You really oh, nailed yeah. it there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will say that like the um, the major difference this book made in my lifestyle, like doing this level of sort of vitriol immersion was that I started collecting swords. Like, I just, like... That's a good thing to do. Yeah, Yeah. I wanted to bring that up because I feel like you and Robert could bond. Swords. The rich person's machete. (laughs) Fancy (laughs) fancy machete. Well, honestly, I mean, if you go to, like, museumreplicas.com, they have some deals. And, like, it's not, like... It's, like, you know, if I... Like, every time I got, like, a payment on my book installment, um, uh, an installment of my book advance, I would, like buy a sword um so i have like two broadswords, a saber and um a dagger and a sword cane so a sword cane you're set yeah that's that's a a little knife at the end what is this sword cane yeah i'll show it to you (gasps) hang on so at first it just looks like i'm ready to go play Baccarat with Lord <laughs> Winstanley Greville Pipe. And How I'm is just... Lord Winstanley Greville Pipe doing these days, by the way? Oh, charming. <laughs> He's always yeah. quite charming and his hounds are uh, very well behaved. But then, should someone approach me and Lord Winstanley Greville Pipe with, with nefarious motive, well. Oh! That's a goddamn sword. I just sword. pulled out a, sword. a pretty. A sword. Pretty pointy ass stiletto. 
That's, this is very effective in an audio medium, but just imagine that I... You do love to see it, though. Podcast uh, <laughs> listeners love props. They like uh, prop comedy. They love to I'm hear I'm the Gallagher of podcasts. But no, imagine that I just pulled a stiletto out of a rather lovely bone-handled cane. And um, imagine all of our faces doing like a fun grin when she did. <laughs> I want... Carrot Top to have a podcast so bad and just do all of his prop comedy on the podcast. <laughs> and describe his prop comedy. Yeah, Not actually exactly. do it. Just say, just if I were in front of you right now, I would be pulling out a rubber chicken. And- I'd, make, I'd make this out of this and I'd take these two things and put them together. Yeah, it's the uh, only thing I'd listen to. I would shut down all of our podcasts so that there would be more listening time for Carrot Top mm-hmm. describing Robert. his guests. <laughs> Sophie, this is more important than us. This no is more about podcasts. Carrot Top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean... Describing what he would do on stage. (laughs) I have a podcast too. Um, Actually, it was funny. I was like very nervous. I had the book launched last night, and um, a friend, I was telling a friend I was nervous, and you know, she's like, Well, you can always say, I'm an author, not a podcaster. And I'm like, but I have a podcast. You have a podcast. <laughs> Plug your podcast. The podcast is called it's it's called Moby Dick Energy, and it's a chapter by chapter <laughs> breakdown of the book Moby Dick. Oh my god! So every week I get to spend a like a you know an hour or two talking about Herman Melville and just completely ignoring like being like I'm an 1851 baby on the Pequod. <laughs> that sounds like self-care to me. It yeah. is it is like a weirdly important element of my self-care. It's just like spending one like you know a while a week like talking to someone smart and like doing a deep dive into just like how fucking weird Herman Melville is. <laughs> um I did I the one overlap was this chapter the whiteness of the whale which basically argues that whiteness is really sinister and full of malevolent intent. And I'm like, I couldn't agree more. This is very yeah. on brand for you right oh, now. I, before I dropped out of college to pursue a career of damaging my brain with drugs, um, I had a creative writing teacher who insisted that the book Moby Dick had the answers to all of life's questions in it. And I go back and forth every year as to whether or not he was a crank or absolutely right. Um, <laughs> I'm he was more in the right. He was a crank who was absolutely right. Yeah, both yeah, can be true. Can be <laughs> um, like it's talk- a wonderfully weird book, and I, <laughs> I, I would recommend that you should read my book, Culture Warlords, yep. and then read Moby Dick because since almost no one has read it yet because it just came out today, I can be like. It's actually the heir in Western literature to Herman Melville, and, <laughs> and the, no one will sit on a it. carrot. Ernest Hemingway, this is truly the the new wave of literature well, in the West. Side note, is, Paul, will you send me a link so I can put it in our episode description? Oh, to the to, um, to your book. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Like I said up top, incredibly well written. I'm really excited to. to we'll link it in it. our episode description, um, guys. Yeah, but can you uh, tell people where they can find it? Is it so? Just- the good news is everywhere. Yeah. Um, as of today, it's on Amazon. It's on um, if you want to support your local bookstore, yes. there's bookshop.org um, where you can order through your local bookstore or just call up your local bookstore. If you don't have cash for a you know, brand new book purchase, um, you can call your local library and ask them to have it. And um, it's also on Audible where if you liked my voice, <gasps> you can hear it for eight hours because <laughs> I narrated the audiobook. That's um, so cool. Yeah, that took a long time and like involved me just like saying the like <laughs> like learning how to pronounce a lot of German. Yeah. Um because yeah. of yeah, the subject matter. I don't matter. recommend doing that. I feel like it's all more tedious than you'd expect <laughs> reading your own book and you're like, oh, this is hard. Well, it, it's just like it's like putting it under like the most intense microscope possible. Yeah. And you're just like, yeah. oh God, every flaw and I can't change a <laughs> yeah. word. But like it's too late to change it. Yeah, but it's out everywhere. Books are sold. And, um, uh, you know, really just like uh, Ernest Hemingway found shaking in his grave. Mm-hmm. Um, T.S. Eliot was an anti-Semite anyway, so fuck him. But, you know, he is truly in a wasteland of envy um, at how amazing <laughs> my book is. So that's my pitch. Um, um, you won't be disappointed. How good you be with It's the Moby Dick pitch. of racists. Yeah. Not that the book is, you know what I'm saying. 
Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm pursuing the white whale of white supremacy to stab it to death with my harpoon of truth. With your, or your cane sword. sword cane. Yeah. Sword yeah. cane of truth. <laughs> we brought it back around. Um, yeah. Tell our listeners where they can check you out online. Oh, yeah. Um, so I'm Twitter, on Twitter. That's like my main jazz. Uh, you, you're better off just searching my name, Talia yeah. Laven, um, T-A-L-I-A-L-A-V-I-N. My handle is Trick in Kiev, um, <laughs> which is a pun on Chicken Kiev, the dish. And I made while I was living in Kiev for a year. Um and is really stupid, but I can't change it. Otherwise, I'll lose my blue check and then I'll die. I like mm-hmm. it. I think um, it's cute. Uh, it's, my blue check is a horcrux of mine. Um, I cannot lose <laughs> it. I know, I know. Um, but yeah, so Chicken Kiev, you can find me on uh, on Twitter and I'm on Instagram as Talia Inter Alia, which is like Talia among other things in Latin because I'm a big freaking dork. And, um, yeah. and Moby Dick Energy comes out almost every week if you're into uh, deep dives on deep dives into whaling. <laughs> no. um, um, thank you so much awesome. for having me, you guys. Thank you so thank much you for, for being, being on. here. Listeners, check out Talia's book and podcast. And as she just urged you to do, go out into the ocean and gun down a whale. Yep. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, probably don't, but um, you can admire the whale and experience the majesty and terror of the sea. Yeah. Um, one thing that I do, no, sorry. I I started as like a means of self-care during like most intense Nazi in immersion times. The Nantucket Historical Association has these whaling logs that you can like help transcribe. And I started doing that. <gasps> How soothing. <laughs> it was so soothing. Like it was just like weather today continues fine. Like saw Amazing. a spool of flying fish off the starboard bow. And I just like kept, yeah. Um, and that I learned amazing. to decipher 18th century handwriting. So on that note, um, <laughs> thank Go you guys so much away. for having thank me you. on. Thank you again. And uh, you guys can check us out online at Worst Year Pod on Instagram, Twitter, etc. You know okay. this. You guys know things. this. All right. Thanks again, Talia. Bye. Bye. Everything's so dumb. Everything's so dumb and it's going to get dumber. I tried. Yes. Daniel? Lovely. Worst Year Ever is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency, where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.